jump around. Uh, we'll look at some things like that. But um, so here's my suggestion. Obviously, you don't have to do this. I'm not the boss of you. But uh, here's my suggestion is read it first. Read it before you get here. Even if you say, well, I've read it before. Um, refresh your mind. Think about <coughs> what it says. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll go through. We're going to go through a bunch of cool stuff. Ezekiel's got some amazing stuff in it. Some of the coolest stuff in the Bible. Some of the most um, imagery-driven, all kinds of things. Uh, is in Ezekiel. It's just, it's just cool. Things that we don't really understand totally now, <clears throat> right? I'm going to do the best I can to explain some things out of Ezekiel that are, it's, it's like this is the best that I can do um, with looking at all kinds of resources and all kinds of commentaries and all things. This is the best I can do. If somebody says to you they totally understand everything in the book of Ezekiel, they're, they're, they're messing with you because they're, you're not, I don't think you're exactly meant to understand everything in the book of Ezekiel. I think some of it is to pique your interest and show you things in a different way, in a different dimension, show you some of the supernatural outside of our understanding um, aspects of God and his plan and his glory and all that kind of stuff. And that at the end of the day, it's one of those things where um, you're supposed to go, well, okay, I don't understand that, but I accept it by faith. And I'll show you that. I really think that about some of that um, in there. <coughs> Where's my... Okay, we're going to go uh, to Jeremiah chapter 12 tonight. And um, this, is, uh, this is one of the things that I think is the most consistent um, questions... Uh, it is. It's one of the most consistent questions I've ever heard Christians ask, and myself. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those places in Scripture where we all say the same thing, and um, and then we people give us the answer. And you can even read it straight out of um, straight out of here, Jeremiah twelve, and you're still. It's still not gonna. It's still not going to reson re resonate with you. It's not going to uh, placate you until you really kind of process it and work through it. All right, and you'll see that. So let's start uh, in Jeremiah 12. <clears throat> Did anybody, I haven't really, the last couple of weeks I've kind of jumped into stuff. Has uh, anybody got any questions about what's going on um, out there in the world of politics and, and that dark, dark place? <clears throat> I do want to mention, I'm going to be talking about this. I'm going to do some town halls about this. And I'll let you know about the town halls. I've got one on the calendar, but I can't remember right now when it is. Um, I actually have a calendar here so I can look. Uh, um, there, I have a, a town hall on the 26th of this month at the uh, Tri-Lakes Chamber of Commerce. Uh, that's basically the monument government building area. That's right there. Um, and there's a few of us getting together and we're going to be discussing Prop HH, Proposition HH, uh, which is going to be on the ballot in November. It came from the, uh, it came from the House of Representatives and uh, it's, it's on the ballot now that's going to be voted on. And here's the simple skinny of this, okay? 
If you vote for Proposition HH, you will never have Tabor again. You will never get your refunds again, ever. The money that the people voted on quite a few years ago and has been attacked every single year from Democrats, the hardest they can attack, because they hate you having your own money. They hate you having your money. It's already your money. Um, Tabor gives it back to you because they took too much in. That's what Tabor is, um, a simplification of Tabor. But if you vote Prop HHN, it looks like you're going to get a little bit of extra money, but you will not. The very first year, you'll get some money, but it's actually less than you would originally got, although it looks like it's more. And then you will never have state uh, refunds again. Okay? So do your homework. Study it to see if I'm right. If you think I'm wrong about that, study it out and come and show me. Um, <clears throat> because basically, it's going to take away your tax money. All right? Please get the word out. Please tell anybody you can. Yes, it does look like it backfills the police department, but it's doing it with your tax money. And if you vote this in, first, they will get a small part of a large picture of what you own. Like, this is how much tax money you have. The police will get a small part, and the rest will just go back to the government, and you'll never get your tax, your state tax, uh, Tabor refunds back again, ever. So please vote against Proposition HH. With everything you have, vote against that. This is, this is the only real thing in the state of Colorado that is holding back. It's like a hand against a whole, um, uh, like the Hoover Dam, you got one hand up against it, but it is holding back the, the liberal mindset that wants to take your money away. So please vote against it. Yes, sir. H H two H's H H. Yeah, guys, we forget to do this every now and then. But if you're going to say something, please call whoever has a microphone, and we may have some around sometimes so that you can have different ones. But please talk into the microphone because people at home cannot hear you, don't know what you're saying. Hey, Scott. Yes, sir. Uh, define Tabor and uh, how <clears throat> Doug Bruce started that and why. I think people find that interesting. Yeah, that's, I, I've actually found a lot of people don't know what TABOR is. Um, TABOR, T-A-B-O-R, stands for Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And uh, it was voted on many times in the House of Representatives. And um, was voted down, voted down. And then um, a guy that preceded me in the district that I serve as representative, his name is uh, Doug Bruce. In fact, he's probably the most hated person in Colorado by the Democrats. They, they hate that man. Because why? He came up with Tabor first. Very intelligent, brilliant guy. Um, he came up with Tabor, and then he figured out how to get it in. Is he brought it before the people as a, an, a ballot initiative, and the people voted Tabor in. It was not a legislative act. It would never have passed. But he got the people to vote it in overwhelmingly. I mean, like 75%, 80%. The people of Colorado devoted it in. And the very last vote we've seen about two years ago, maybe three years ago, oh, two years ago, they tried to, Democrats tried to put up something else that said, hey, we want to take some of your Tabor away. And the state of Colorado voted it in. 76% voted against changing Tabor. Okay? So this is, um, this is something the people of Colorado want. And when it's 76%, that means both parties, right? So uh, what it is is, is 
<clears throat> well, I wish I had some graphs and stuff because I could explain this way more detail than you want. But let me give you the skinny. Um, since it was voted in, I think it was 1994. Does that sound right, Mark? Do you? Something like that. Uh, anytime the state takes in from income tax, uh, state tax, any of that kind of stuff, anytime the state takes in more money than it uses in the budget that year, anything above that goes back to the taxpayers as a refund. That's why you get the $800 refund or the $600 refund. I think last year, uh, Polis said that he was giving the state back a, uh, a uh, bonus to try to help during difficult times. That was a lie. He lied to everybody. It was Tabor money that was already yours that has been set in law for a couple of decades. And by the way, he gave it back to you early and he didn't give you all of it. But it was already your money and you, you, by law, it was supposed to come back to you. So anything over the budget. Then what else Tabor does, and this is the cool part, this is the part that enrages liberals, is it also makes you start back at baseline <clears throat> the next year and you cannot um, add any taxes or add anything to the budget that is not approved by the voters. I'm, I'm, they can add things to the budget, but not percentage-wise through a tax or something like that. They cannot build the budget bigger unless they come to you as the voters and, and ask your permission to add another tax. That's the greatest thing about Tabor. Okay? Now, the way that, they, that they've been getting around this for a long, long time is, and it's get worse every year. I, I fought against this probably 30 different bills or more. It had to be way more than that in the state this last year in the Capitol was they just start calling them fees and fines. Okay, you have an extra fee on your driver's license renewal. You have an extra fee on your uh, concealed carry. You have an extra fee. I'll give you another one that is a tax and they didn't get approval by the voters is they're going to start having a toll going up 25, right? They've already got the lane there. You've seen they're not charging the toll yet, right? When they start charging the toll, here, let me give you another word for that. It's called a tax. E-470 charges a toll. It's a legitimate toll because that's a private road. 25 is a public federal highway, and they are taxing you to drive on it extra than the original tax, and they did not ask for your permission. That's against the law, and I talked to the person that got all that passed. He's a Republican, and he got all that passed, and I told him before he did it, this is a tax. Don't try to hide it. Don't lie about it. Don't do it. But you see how effective I was at that stage of the game. Um, it's, it's, uh, the, the Tabor says you cannot be taxed unless the voters vote. Fees are another tax, and Tabor also gives you back all the extra uh, reef, uh, all the extra money that comes in. And by the way, it's usually hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes has been in the billion-dollar range. And that's why you get a $1,200 refund. So I'm sure I'm not the only one here, but I drive up I-25, well, up and back a lot. And um, if you stop and think about the process, that's an interstate highway. So it's 60% federally funded, the other 40% comes from local tax and municipal, not county probably, revenues. So that extra lane in both directions was paid for by our tax dollars. 
and we were not given a choice about how that money was spent. It was simply, it was built, and uh, it, it was a pain in the neck for two years while they were doing it. Very nice now, but it's still paid for. It's there because we have paid our taxes to build it. And now they're going to charge us another tax to use what our tax dollars built. Yeah. So I think now, they don't need your permission necessarily to, to actually work on it in the first place because that's what your tax dollars are already allocated for. But to now put a toll on it, that's, that is not constitutional, according to the Colorado Constitution, of how we do taxes and how Tabor operates. They're not allowed to do that, but they did anyway. Yeah. It's a tax on a tax. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and just throw this out here. This is just an interesting thing about, uh, let's see, it would have been... Oh, about um, 11 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, the, the House and the Senate both um, uh, allowed Tabor. Th this is, guys, this is totally against the law. Both houses broke the law on this. They are not allowed to change Tabor without permission of the voters. Now, local municipalities can take away Tabor from you if it's voted in. That's why our new mayor, not a conservative, is trying to give a bunch of Tabor money to the police department. He doesn't love the police department. He hates Tabor going back to you. It has nothing to do with the police department. It's going to be very small what he gives to the police department. But he doesn't want you to have your Tabor money. Police department should be funded from already taxable dollars. But when we tax all, I mean, when we pay for all this stupid stuff that our city pays for, we can't pay for the police. Okay? Plus, I don't want to get too much into this. When the existing mayor has supported Black Lives Matter and Antifa, how dare you then turn around and say, let's fund the police after you said defund the police and do it with our extra taxpayer dollars. That's truth right there. Okay? And by the way, he's he, just, they're messing with money that is not allowed to be messed with. But with that, about 11 years ago, both houses said, let's suspend, because what was happening is our budget was running around here, and, and um, the liberals wanted a much, and many Republicans too, by the way, wanted a much larger starting point for our, um, our budget. And so they all agreed, well, let's suspend the limitation of Tabor, not giving it back and not um, uh, going to the polls for the vote on a tax, but let's just suspend the baseline mentality that's involved in Tabor and let's let our budget jump up. And I think it was 15 to 20 million in one year uh, in, in, um, in Colorado. I'm, I'm sorry, billion in one year in Colorado. So the, the graph is going like this, a little bit up, a little bit up. And then all of a sudden about, I think it was 10 or 11 years ago, it jumped up like this and now it's going like this. And I added it up. <coughs> I added it up and presented this to all of the budget committee um, uh, for the Republican Party at one of our meetings, all the budget for Senate and House, and they were having this meeting, and I, I mean, I'm not part of that, but you, everybody can go if they want. And I told them, I said, you guys realize that you voted this in, the Republicans, someone were sitting in the room that did it, so I guess it wasn't quite 11 years ago. Yeah, it was. And I said, you guys voted to change the bottom line. 
And since that day, we, the, the taxpayers have lost $31 billion of their own money. And you voted it in. And you call yourself conservatives. And they kept saying, well, you know, the, the way they term it is, well, we don't have to, we don't have to Bruce everything. Doug Bruce is the guy who made Tabor. And brucing means looking at finances conservatively and holding them accountable to Tabor. And even Republicans don't like that because they want extra money. They want extra money in the coffers so they can do what they want with all their little pet programs. And, and we, we voted on stuff like how we're going to introduce the wolves into the, to the state of Colorado and what programs are we going to use. Now, now, farmers are not allowed to shoot them when they're attacking their cows, but we're going to figure out nice ways that we can help uh, feed them and do all this other stuff. That's the kind of stupidity that we're funding by Republicans so that they want a bigger budget. So then after that first year, it kind of crumped a lump, but if, if you're looking at the graph, it was going like this jumps way up here, and this is the new baseline of the budget every year, and it goes like that. that. That little thing, illegal. That's against the law when they did that. But they all agreed together it should be done, and so they hid it from the voters, and most people that really even understand Tabor don't know that that happened. It's illegal. They broke the law, and they don't care. They, they, don't care, they don't care law, and they don't care what you vote in. They do not care, and they will do everything they can to attack that. And that's why, I mean, I tell little stories along the way. But, guys, this is why, um, specifically when I first got to the House, I wasn't popular with Democrats or Republicans. And there's, there's two or three of them, Republicans, that I still, they still hate me because I stand for things that are truth and right and, and, and illuminating, illuminating um, uh, th this breaking the law stuff. I bring it to light, and nobody likes that. But here's the thing. I tell them all the time. I didn't get voted in to be your friend. That's not why I'm sitting in the chair. I'm sitting in the chair because there is such a thing as right, and I'm going to stand for right, and I don't care whether I benefit or not. In fact, there's just a part of me in the back of my head that hopes I make enough people mad they won't vote me back in. <laughs> That's the stuff I shouldn't say publicly, huh, Mark? <laughs> so, so, so starting again, tell people to vote against Prop HH. Guys, you're going to lose so much of your money if that gets voted in. You're going to lose so much of your money. And on top of that, the budget for Colorado, in, in the last 10 years, it's already gone. No, it hasn't been 10. It's in the last six years, it's already gone from around, no, it would be closer to 10. It's already gone from around um, 20 to $25 billion up to uh, 40, uh, in the $40 billion range. There's no reason for a state budget to go that high, that quickly, I'm saying. It's just wrong. And so don't, any hope of limiting that, limiting that is um, vote against Prop HH. Okay. All right. Speaking of all that, this kind of segues nicely, actually. Jeremiah chapter 12. <clears throat> Lord, you always give me justice when I always bring a case before you. 
That's a, that's a great starting point, Jeremiah. Um, he's about to... That statement seems a little bit disingenuous when you read everything else, but that statement's a solid statement. And, and, and this is where, for me, this is where I try to keep my mind in the right place. Lord, when I bring something before you, you are just. You will do the right thing under all circumstances. And... We know this scripture to be true, but man, it's so difficult to um, embrace it sometimes, is I know that the Lord will always do what is best for me within his uh, concept and context. Where I get the struggle, where the um, challenge comes in, is when I think that what is best for me is different than what the Lord thinks is best for me. That's always where the problem comes in, right? Lord, you're going to always do what's right for me. You're going to do, um, do what's best for me. You've got the plan and the will for me, and you know me specifically, and you know the things that I need, and you know the important, the important things and the not important things, and you also know the direction. When you put all that together, um, you know the Scripture, everything works out for the good of those who serve him. Okay, for the good of those who serve him, you have to you have to include the mentality that serving him it, it is part of the qualifier of what God thinks is good. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you include that? I mean, think about that. That God causes um, everything to work out for the good for those who serve him. So serving him is part of the mix of who gets to decide what is good for you. <clears throat> All right. So example. Um, if, if you were serving, um, I, I met a guy, uh, during this whole political thing and have talked to him a handful of times since then, but, uh, he told me this was at a political thing and he told me that he, um, owns, uh, some Baskin Robbins here in Colorado Springs. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought is this needs to be my friend. This guy and I need to, we need to start hanging out and do it. Maybe hang out at his Baskin Robbins store, things like that. Now, if he's the one that's at the end of the sentence, so let's, let's change the sentence. The Baskin Robbins guy causes everything to work out for the good of those who like ice cream. Those who like ice cream mentality is what is determining that work out for good. Do you think the the who likes ice cream, if we change that whole sentence to the, um, the, the physical trainer down at, at, at Lifetime causes everything to work out for the good of those who exercise, don't you think that would be a little different lifestyle than the Baskin-Robbins sentence? <laughs> so, so when we get to the end, we're saying to those who serve him, that's, that's a great determining factor of how what is good for us. Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case against me. So, in other words, now that we're on the same page, Lord, you're going to do what's best. You can do what's right. Let me present you with something. So let me bring you this complaint. Have you ever had a, 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 one of your children come to you with a similar case? Since I know you love me, Father, 
right? You can, I mean, it, was, it seems so obvious to me, but I always enjoyed it when my kids came to me to try to manipulate me. Um, so, Dad, you know, I, have you seen my room lately? Man, it's clean. Super clean. When they start like that, there's nothing good coming from this conversation. Well, it may be good, but it's not going to benefit me. So let me bring you this complaint. Guys, here's the quintessential question for all Christians. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? So, Break that down a little bit. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Don't read ahead. I mean, you probably know some of this already, but why are the wicked so prosperous? And by the way, that's true. I've had people say, well, they're not really prosperous because all they're getting is money or whatever. But yes, that's true. They're not so prosperous, but, but they are prosperous. Right? They do have stuff. Why? Stuff that could be their focus, but I prayed this before to God. God, I, my, I don't desire, specifically years, years ago, when, I mean, we were so, so broke. I, I, I've told some of that. I don't think that's me. I've told some of those stories and stuff, but, man, we were just so broke. Broke, broke. And, um, and I would say, God, why do the wicked prosper? But then the question would be... Um, Lord, couldn't I have just a little? It's not my focus. I, I, I'm, I'm serious about that. It's not my focus. But man, when you're struggling to feed the kids, right? And I, and I always pick on this, and I, I have to be careful because I don't want to take this too far. But I think society and, and even us in this room, we have to hear this stuff every now and then. When I say I couldn't feed the kids, I wasn't saying it like today. Where when I hear people talking about, you know, I'm broke, we, we can't afford to, um, to go to the swimming pool every day, only three days a week. You know, things like that. And you're like, what? Um, we were, literally, we had no food in the kitchen. No food in the kitchen. And I'm looking, I'm saying, God, money's not my focus, but man, I'd like a little bit. I'd like a couple bucks. Right? Now, one of the reasons the wicked prosper, sure, that is, that's their focus. But sometimes it's not their focus. They're just prosperous. So what about that? Why are evil people so happy? Now, that one's a little more tricky. Why are evil people so happy? <clears throat> yeah, that's that's good, Allison. Um, that hap like maybe they're happy in the sense of momentary happiness, but I don't think they have real true joy most of the time. Right. Now, what you've done is change the sentence. Right. Why are evil people so happy? Well, they are happy, but they may not have joy. 
They may not have peace in their spirit. They may not have that true down inside um, contentment, those kind of things. But happy? You can get on a roller coaster and be happy or sick, but you can get on a roller coaster and be happy, right? You can have a, a, a great time with friends and be happy. They really are happy. I wouldn't argue against that. Al? Well, it's uh, can we can. Uh, I'm sorry. Redefine the evil with unrighteous. And um, the thing about the unrighteous people is that they do their unrighteous things whenever they feel like it. Um, and whatever it is that uh, <clears throat> vernacular flips their switch or makes them feel good about what it is they're doing or or f- fulfills some sense of gratification for them. They just do that whenever they choose. Uh, there are no, uh, to them there is no such thing as don't, or you shouldn't, or this is wrong. Uh, it's just, hey, this is what I am and this is what I do. Um, yeah, I do believe that can be the case, but I don't think that's always the case. Because I've met some very focused, disciplined, self-disciplined people that are not Christian people and and they have a certain level of fulfillment in their life and they do and they are happy but but guys you've heard me pick on this before happiness is relative happiness is so temporary Russell yes so the I think that they are living in this world's economy versus God's economy and so it's a different perspective it's a um, they're doing what it takes to live in this economy and um, with the focus on this world. Yeah. And so they are being fulfilled by this world versus God's economy. So. And, and again, I think that comes back to... Th- there, this is one of the things that I was told. The reason I'm picking on this some is this is what I was told when I was a kid in church, home, all kinds of things is... Well, uh, all of those people out there, they're not really having a good time. They're not really happy. They're just sinning, and they're faking it, and they're not happy. And then I found out that's not true. I sinned, and I enjoyed it. I sinned, and I was happy. But the one thing that I couldn't get away from is at the end of the night when I put my head on my pillow... I was so empty. You can be happy. You know those things, but, but it's, not, it's not the way God designed us. And, and the way Russell is saying this is right on. They're connected to this system. And within this system, yes, there can be happiness and even some fulfillment and purpose and all this other kind of stuff. But the problem is, is there is a transcendent reason for us to exist. And that's why the lack of peace and the emptiness can be coinciding with those kind of things. This is one of the things I've always kind of processed with this is, um, in fact, I saw a thing, I think it was on Facebook, I don't know where I saw it, but it showed um, all of these uh, rock stars that, like 20 pictures of rock stars that died at certain times and it, and it said when they died, what year they died and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of processed through that list and some of those people, a lot of those people, put out some amazing music and then hit the height 
of what they had been striving for for their entire existence. Some of them were young, some of them were older, but they hit the height, and when they hit the height, within a few years, they, they either commit suicide or OD or something else. And, I, and at, for, at some level, I've never quite understood that. And part of the reason is I always wanted to be a rock star when I was a kid. Some now. But um, I always wanted to be a rock star. And, and I've mentioned this before, but there's something about this. For, for me, it's worship. I don't play other music. But just like tonight, when, when everybody's worshiping and I'm playing an instrument and I'm part of it or singing, leading the song or whatever, there is something that is, to me, it is at one of the heights of spirituality for the way God designed human beings. And specifically as a musician, to me, there is a fulfillment there that I cannot put into words. That for me, I am directly connected with the song. The song is in me. It's from me. Somebody else could have written it. That doesn't matter. But all of it is working together. And when you've got, and specifically when you've got really good quality musicians, um, everything flows in a way that is not... It's not describable in any other context. And, and for, for them to get to the height of that and then kill themselves, that's what you were shooting for. That's what you were, and there's, and there's something cool about playing small venues, but there's also something very cool about playing big venues when you have all the sounds you want and all the stuff, and they finally get to that, and they kill themselves. I, I don't get it. Except I get it. Right? It's because they did this without Jesus. And think what they could have done with Jesus. Think what they could have done. Somebody said this to me recently. Oh, they were, they were waiting for the m- moment when um, Bono of U2 gets saved and, um, and hopefully becomes our worship pastor here at uh, Church of Bargate. Wouldn't you like to see Bono? And I, I know people say, oh, they're Christians. They're not. He says he's not. So don't argue with the guy that says he's not. Okay. But wouldn't you like to hear U2? Um, Sing my testimony or something like that, or graves into gardens, or out of that grave, or I would. No. Um, just the just the amazingness of that, just the power of that. Um, because I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the the concerts, the worship concerts of you too, but they're not worshiping Jesus. I told you, I've used this example before. I've got a video somewhere on my computer of um, one of the largest crowds that ACDC ever played to, and they were singing Highway to Hell, and everybody in that room is jumping with their hands raised. If you would have turned the song off and you didn't know what song it was, it would have looked like a church worship set, except that they were singing their anthem on the way to their destination. That's what's scary, right? Did you just get the moment's gone? Okay. 
Oh, Didi. Too late? Did I cover all that stuff for you guys? Um, so so the, the thinking of this is can, can the evil, can the wicked be happy? Sure. Can they be fulfilled? Sure. Um, can, they, they have, can they make our lives potentially look pale in comparison? Yes. As long as you're within that system. But the moment you realize, wait a second, Jesus is doing something here. Jesus is leading and guiding. He's the one that's in charge. The, the spirit of the universe, the Holy Spirit, he's the one that's guiding you. He's the one that is, that is bringing you that peace and that joy and everything else. And, and remember, we see where Scripture tells us that the, that, uh, the Lord, what Paul said it, but the Lord says that, um, that actually, I think James says it, but he said um, that he wants, uh, he wants us to prosper as our soul prospers, right? That is a powerful sentence. He wants you to, to be blessed, and that doesn't just mean finances, but it can. It obviously can. He wants you to prosper. He wants, you to, he wants to really bless you in your life, but his priority is that he blesses your soul, and your physical blessing or prosperity follows after that. That's, that's not the Lord's priority, Okay, his priority is not whether we have a lot of stuff or we have resources or all the other things. The, the, the Lord's priority is that your soul is prospering. Okay? So then he says, so let's read those. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are the evil people so happy? And then he says, Jeremiah says to God, you have planted them and they have taken root and prospered. <clears throat> your name is on their lips but you are far from their hearts. Now, I, I don't usually do this by name, but I'm going to give you an example by name where I have watched this happen. Um, as soon as I said that, I forgot his name. Uh, Kenneth Copeland. Um, Kenneth Copeland, I believe he started out right. I believe he started out biblical. But that man got so far away from the Bible, and it's just about him and getting money. He is, he is, a, he is this, he is the evil, the ungodly are prospering, and the evil are happy. That is Kenneth Copeland. And he, and he steals so much money from people every single year. And you say, well, yeah, but people voluntarily send it. I understand that, but there's also this, under, this idea that we need to at least... Con um, process that a lot of these people really don't know truth and are younger Christians or, or have been, and they get caught up in that system and they don't realize that, um, that they're, they're giving to a charlatan. And he is, he's, he's a dishonest charlatan. He is, he is lying to people and taking their money. I sat there, this was years ago, this is 25 years ago, at least, and I was sitting in Linda's grandfather's living room, and uh, we'd lived for the, with them for a few months. And, um, and he was not a Christian at the time, and, and he did not like the church, and he didn't like anything about the church. And when, I mean, I would come over, and he'd ask me questions like, why are you, why are you a pastor? You believe all that stuff? I'm like, uh-huh. 
He explained to me one time, he took, he, he sat down, I'm sitting in his living room. He'd do this all the time. He would take portions of scripture and read it to him. And he opened Jeremiah 23. You guys know what Jeremiah 23 is? As soon as I say it, you'll remember. Um, it's where the Lord separates the sheep from the goats. Right? And he says, you know what? He read me the whole thing. He said, you know what that is? I said, I have no idea. I had no idea what he was about to say, right? And he said, the sheep are the Democrats. He was a hardcore Democrat. Sheep are the Democrats. The goats are the Republicans. And the Lord's going to split them right down the middle. I was like, you, is that what you think that says? Is that what? And he would come up with some funny things. And he told me, he said, you know, you got to be baptized. We were all baptized in the flood. And, and I love to, he, now he and I know sometimes he's picking on me. I love to just sit and talk with him. I just loved it. He, he was one of my favorite people. And yeah, he was a wonderful guy. He's with Linda's grandfather and a little different. And his brother was rewriting the Bible. But either way. <laughs> yeah, he, he thought he was Jesus Christ, uh, like the third or something. I don't know, but. So we were sitting there watching TV one morning, and um, Kenneth Copeland comes up, and Kenneth Copeland starts preaching on, um, look unto the fields, for they are white unto harvest. Kenneth Copeland is speaking, and he reads the scripture and does all this stuff. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, this is good. Grandpa's sitting there. He's listening to it. He hated Kenneth Copeland, as did I. But, um, but I thought, maybe he's going to nail this one and do good. And then Kenneth Copeland spends the next 30 minutes talking about how that means that you are going to get money. The harvest, the, the white of the harvest is dollar bills, and you just need to reach out there and grab it. And part of the way you do that is you send him an offering. I'm sitting there, and finally, Grandpa looks over at me and says, what do you think about that? And I had to tell him, that guy is not a Christian. That guy's not, he's not getting from truth. He's not speaking truth. That's a lie. That is, that is perverting the word of God. And he said to me, well, at least you got that one right. I did like him so much. Um, we really had good times. And I do believe he got saved um, b- before he died because he and I talked about it. But, um, Yeah. So, you have planted them. They've taken root and, root and prospered. Your name is on their lips. They're doing all the God stuff. They look so good at everything that's going on. But you are far from their hearts. That's, that's the part that is always just, always in the back of my head and my spirit is I don't want, and, and I'm picking on Kenneth Copeland, but I, I've got many other examples in my head that I've seen over the years. Um, that, that I, I don't trust these people. Some of them, you wouldn't know their name, but I knew their name, and they were very untrustworthy people. But they were very um, good ministers according to the world. And this stuff has always confused me and bothered me, specifically when, when there are people that really, really like them and like what they're saying and all this stuff. That even com- confused me more back in the day. It doesn't as much now. But I've always said this, Lord, I don't want you, I would rather be close to you and not have anything that somebody would consider prosperous or successful or anything, as long as that I'm close to you. I want to be close to you. 
And if I'm close to the Lord, then I'm open to however he wants to use me. I, I, I don't go quietly into that dark night sometimes. I mean, I do kick and scream, but I, I do, at the end of the day, I do want to serve the Lord. And, and, and the reason, because I want to be close to him. I just don't, I don't want to just do stuff. I don't want things to just happen and, and look good or be important or whatever. I truly want, at the end of the day, I want the Lord to be pleased with me that day. Pleased. And that's not always doable. There's times when I assess the end of my day and I thought I could have done better here. Or I should have said something here or not said something there. Or there, There's so many examples I can give over the years where I've, I've made mistakes and all this other stuff. But, but I can honestly say that at the end of the day, I just, I just want to be close to his heart. And I'll trade anything else for that. I'll trade anything for that. But as for me, Lord, you know my heart. I, I've said this so many times to the Lord over the years, where Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, you know me. You know me. And you know that I love you. I can't tell you how many times I've said that to the Lord over the years, especially when I've done something stupid, right? When I've, when I've said something I shouldn't or whatever the case. And I, and I say, Lord, please forgive me. And then I usually include this, Lord, because you know me. You know my heart. I, I've said this to people. Not, this is not arrogance. This is just I know this. I'm not a bad guy. I'm a good guy. I don't always do things exactly the way they should be done, but I'm a good guy. And I believe at the end of the day, me and God are good on that. You know the song, It Is Well With My Soul? I love that because I, that's what I work toward. Lord, I want it to be good here. I want it to be good between you and me. And everything else is way secondary. Now, this is where it sounds a little callous is I'm not that concerned oftentimes with whether I'm okay with someone else as long as I'm okay with God. And, and I think this is what plagues the church. I think this is one of the diseases that's worked its way into the church is we're more concerned with how I am with somebody else and God, you can figure it out. I don't, it's not a good trade for me. Now, I want to be good with people. I'm not going around just trying to hurt people. But at the end of the day, I am more concerned with how God is, is whether God is okay with me than whether any other person is. Because if I'm okay with God, they can take their decisions however they want. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean, I'm assuming there are people that also like me. <laughs> but, but you understand what I'm saying? I, I want the Lord to be pleased with me. And even how it comes down with, with Paul... Paul's my friend. I want Paul to like me because he's my friend. But at the end of the day, I want the Lord to be okay with Paul and I's relationship. I don't want to work harder for Paul to like me at the expense of God liking me and being okay with me. Right? If Paul gets angry at me and I know that I'm good with God, I'll try to figure that out with Paul. But at the end of the day, that really could be Paul's issue, not my issue. And I want to make sure I'm good with God, right? Now, in that process, there's been many times when God says something like, uh, you might want to go back to Paul. Why? Because you were the one that was wrong. I'll pray about that a few days to make sure it was from the Lord. 
right? Drag these people away like sheep to be butchered. Set them aside to be slaughtered. That's pretty strong, Jeremiah. Right? I can't remember the last time I felt that strongly against somebody. Now, I have prayed for people that, that um, really, I, I realize they're wrong, they're doing something wrong, and I will say, God, please help them to repent, but it's so that they can know God. I can't imagine actually being honest and saying, God, slaughter them. Right? I could come up with a couple of scenarios where I could probably get close to that, but that, I don't, I don't think I've ever thought about somebody like that, even when I wasn't a Christian. Now, I may say, God, make their life miserable. Make them unsuccessful at everything they do. Give them pimples over their whole body. You know, things like that. I have no problem praying those things sometimes. God, every time they... they, they, I used to do this long before the movie. I don't remember the movie, but where Steve Carroll was a reporter, a newscaster, and everything. He was putting, somebody was putting words in his mouth or something. I don't remember, but he would just, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I'll take your word for it. Um, I have wished those kind of things on people long before the movie came out. That they would just go up to like this girl that they want to like, and when they get up to her, they go, you know, I've prayed those things. But I've never, but I've never actually asked the Lord, Lord, slaughter somebody kill somebody. And by the way, you know, Jeremiah is not alone in scripture on this, right? Many people throughout scripture uh, have prayed those kind of things. Now, here's one of the reasons I think, well, here's the biggest reason I think is it's pre-cross, right? Once you start under understanding and accepting grace, uh, I believe it should be more difficult for you to desire uh, the ruination of others, specifically to the point of um, being um, drug away like sheep to be butchered and slaughtered. All right, verse 4. How long must this land mourn? I, I do think about that a lot in our society today. I believe our country is mourning. I believe there are people all over, all over Colorado Springs, all over the state, all over the United States, that their soul is hurting so bad because of where our country is right now. You know where I see it verbalized the most is immigrants that have come to this country. That, um, that they love this country so much. I, I just talked to a guy. I, I, I knew him. I know him around town. And I was in the auto parts. I was going in the auto parts, and he was there. And I... It clicked in my head. I know him. And so we just sat there and talked for a little bit. And he said, I'm trying to get screws for my license plate. And I said, well, that shouldn't be too hard. He said, well, I chose these. And they were little American flags. He's an immigrant from India. And, uh, and he said, I really like these. I want these on my, I want these on my car. I, I've had so many amazing conversations with people that have been here from war-torn countries and and uh, communist countries, and totalitarian countries, regimes, and all these other things. And they love America so much. Now, we get told people all over the world hate America, okay? We get told that. 
I do believe the French and the Germans don't like America. But, and, and we actually rebuilt both of those countries. But either way, um, take those two countries out. Most countries around the world that are not Islamic countries, and, and many people within the Islamic countries do love America. Here's how we know. One of our biggest crises right now that we're dealing with is illegal immigration. Coming across the border at 10,000 people a day. Because they hate the country so much? Is that why? I am never ever in my life going to stand in line for Brussels sprouts. It's never going to happen. And even if there is no line, I'm not going to go up and get Brussels sprouts. Why? Because I hate them. If you hate America so much, why are you coming? It's because people don't hate America. Liberals hate America, and they try to attack. Because why? We really were built on Christian principles. We really are a, godly, a God-based country, and they hate that. Right? Look at this again. How long must this land mourn? Even the grass in the field has withered. The wild animals and birds have disappeared because of the evil in the land. For the people have said, the Lord doesn't see what's ahead of us. And I do believe that still happens today. I believe that there are physical um, realizations, manifestations in our country that we are having because we are evil. Because we are sinning so much. I believe that there's, there's physical representation of that that happens. And we are kind of taught against that in the American church. We are taught against that kind of stuff. I remember when Pat Robertson said that um, the, the, the attack of 9-11 was God's judgment upon our country. And there were many, whether you believe that or not is not my point. But there were pastors all over the country that immediately jumped up and said, God doesn't do that. Can you find any place in Scripture where God does that? Almost every other week in the Old Testament, right? Where, where not only did something bad happen, but God brought in marauding armies and let them have their way with the Israelites because they had turned against God. Now, if I had to take a stand, and I know this is a, a, a tricky thing, and yes, I know we're being recorded, but I don't know for sure if 9-11 was a, a, um, a uh, response of God or judgment of God upon our country. But if I had to take a stand, I would go that direction rather than not. Yeah, I've heard that too. So, the wild animals and birds have disappeared because of the evil in the land. For the Lord has said... The, the people have said, the Lord doesn't see what's ahead of us. So this is what, this is what, this is all Jeremiah talk. And now the Lord's going to respond to this. And he says, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? Even your brothers, members of your own family have turned against you. They plot and raise complaints against you. Do not trust them, no matter how pleasantly they speak. This is not a positive response. This isn't starting out well. 
He, he, do you realize God is literally telling Jeremiah, your brothers? Now, I, don't, I think he means more than just your blood brother, but, but it could be that. But your, your brothers have turned against you. Don't trust them. That's okay. I have abandoned my people, my special possession. I've surrendered my dearest ones to the Lord, uh, the dearest ones to their enemies. When he says I've abandoned my people, if he just left it at that, that has one connotation to it. When you read the rest, my special possession, that changes the whole sentence. I've abandoned my people, my special possession. I love them. They're my people, but they don't want me. My chosen people have roared at me like a lion of the forest, so I've treated them with contempt. There's a, there's a song that uh, Rust Taff wrote, and... Um, this was, this was right about the time that he was, he was a severe alcoholic and he had been with the, he's a singer that had been with the Imperials and then he went on his own because he got, he became drunk. And, um, and he wrote, he had two albums that came out and I, to me, they're some of the better albums, Christian albums ever. And plus I really like Rust Half, but he has this one little part of a song that is always stuck in my head. And he said, and, and the lines are. I shook my fist up, up toward the sky and to all of those who loved me. And I've always thought about that line. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake my fist at God and I'm going to shake my fist at all the people that are trying to help me. Why? Because I, I have a better plan. It's because of his addictions, but I have a better plan. And I shake my fist at God and I shake my fist at everybody else. That's, um, that's, that's, that's kind of what... Um, He's saying here, my chosen people have roared at me like a lion of the forest. Verse 9, my chosen people have act, act like speckled vultures, but they themselves are surrounded by vultures. Bring on the wild animals to pick their corpse clean. Many rulers have ravaged my vineyard, trampling down the vines and turning all its beauty into a barren wilderness. When the Lord is talking about vineyards, what is he talking about? He's not just talking about physical great plants. Why? The, the, the spirit and how the spirit is, is wine to us, is drink to us. Right? We get a lot of this in the New Testament, but it's referring back to a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, that you're trampling down, you're trampling down the, 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 um, the, the spirit that God gives to you. That's, that's the context. They have made it an empty wasteland. I hear its mournful cry. The whole land is desolate. No one even cares. I know maybe I'm being just kind of overly pessimistic here, but this, this has a very strong ring to me of, of our country right now. That we've become desolate. Not with trees and with mountains and, and stuff like that, but we've become desolate. There is, we are losing, we are losing so many things in our country that Statistically, we can track it. Like, um, like suicides are up like crazy. Like off the charts compared to even four or five years ago. To me, that's desolation. That's not, that's not positive. That's, that's horribly negative about our country. We're, we're losing. We're losing the, the, the idea of faith in the government. Almost overwhelmingly, our country does not have faith in the government. 
And now we know we're being taken advantage of. We know we're being lied to. We know this, like indicting Trump. This whole thing is a big scam. Everybody in the country knows it, including the people that are indicting him. And, and this, is, this is where we are as a country. We don't have confidence in local leaders. I don't, I don't get offended when somebody says, and this happens all the time before they realize what they're saying. But they will look at me and say, all politicians are corrupt. <laughs> like, well, maybe not all, maybe, right? Maybe one is not. And then, but they don't see, they don't realize what they're saying. Mark. Grab that mic, let me see. You know, faith in government may be at an all-time high. I mean, in the founding era, no one had faith in government. <clears throat> oh, no. I see what you're saying. No one. Yes, that you is never true. supposed to have faith in government. And you look at the number of people that do have faith in government, it's shocking. The Today. dependence upon government is at an all-time high. Um, people believing that our government is honest? No. But people saying, I want government, and I want more government, and I need government, that's, it, that's on the rise. And I don't understand how those two are compatible. That, that we know that the FBI is broken and corrupt, but we don't do anything. I mean, you, you can go down the line of this stuff. The confidence that we have in, in um, public schools and public education is at, is, is at abysmal low. And the sad thing is, is we've got some great teachers in public schools. We've got some great people in public schools. But the, 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 the rate of, of parents pulling their schools out of public schools and putting them in charter schools and homeschooling them in private schools, and that, that increases every single year, like, exponentially. Was somebody, Mark, were you going to say something? Somebody over here? that it's low, I think it's a problem that's even there. I, I don't think the founding generation ever expected to have any, us to have any kind of faith in, <clears throat> in government, in public institutions. That's why we were also always supposed to be vigilant because we shouldn't trust those things. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We're, we're saying the same thing about um, from the opposite sides of this. You, you know, I had an interesting conversation with a couple, an older couple that I'm marrying there in their 70s. And uh, we were talking about whether or not they need a, um, a marriage license or not. And they were intimidated by whether, what my answer was going to be, a little bit. And uh, they said, we don't want to get a marriage license. Now, some of you younger people, you need to pay attention. Maybe all of us, but I think some of the older crowd, you kind of understand this. Uh, my answer is, I don't care if you ever get a marriage license. I'm not in the marriage license business. You say, well, you have to have a marriage license if you're going to get married. Do you? Why? Why would you need to get a marriage license? That's asking the government for permission to get married. Yeah. yeah. You, ask, you have to have permission from the government. Why, why do we get marriage license? I mean, what would there be the reason? There are some legitimate reasons, by the way. There are some legitimate reasons in today's society, the way our structure is built, for a, ma a man and a wife to have a marriage license. For health benefits at work. That's a good one. So you don't marry your dog. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> you can probably get a marriage license for you, that. You actually can get a marriage license in Colorado for that. I know that sounds weird. And people all the time say to me, can you, um, do, as the pastor, do you have to marry us? In Colorado, you, you can have a squirrel marry you. I'm not kidding. Okay. No. You're suspended. So, so here, what would be another reason you would want a marriage license? Um, tax reasons is where it all started. That's the only reason marriage license used to exist for like 300 years. Um, but nowadays add to it. That's why it began. That's why it originally uh, happened. And by the way, that came around before our country existed as a country. Long before 1776 did a marriage license come around. Here's another reason. is custody issue with children and things like that. Um, there are some legitimate reasons to, to have marriage license. But these guys are older. Their kids are already whatever. And they said, do you think we need a marriage license? We don't want one. And I said, no, I don't. I said, you can get married. I believe strongly you can get married in God's eyes, and it doesn't matter what the state thinks. Now, here's the thing is if you want any benefits or any connection with the state or the government, you have to have a marriage license. But you've got to make that decision. I don't discourage people from getting marriage license. Specifically, if they're younger and they have children, get a marriage license. But I totally get why this couple would not want one. Why would we need one? You don't. This, the, here's the thing. Did Adam and Eve have a marriage license? Did, did all the people Paul was talking about in Ephesians 5, love your wife, um, submit to your husband, did they have marriage license? Did the, did the, um, did the, 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 the people that first came to the shores of America, did they have a marriage license? No. Marriage license was created in America in the late 1600s. I've talked about that before. That's a government thing. It's a state thing. I'm not an anarchist. I'm just saying I don't think you have to have a marriage license. But be careful if you make that decision. Because there will be other things resulting from that, right? Just, just throwing that out there. All right. It's um, 830 See if there was there was one part down toward the bottom. Okay, verse fourteen. I will uproot from the land all the evil nations reaching out for the possession I gave my people Israel. God is going to punish the people of Israel, and there's going to be bad things happen. But He says, "Be careful if you come try to take the land. I'm taking care of my people. You neighboring countries don't come in and try to take the land because it's not going to go well for you." He says, I will uproot Judah from among them. Afterward, I will return and have compassion on all of them. I will bring them home to their own lands again, each nation to his own possessions. And if these nations truly learn the ways of my people, and if they learn to swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, just as they taught my people to swear by the name of Baal, then they will be given a place among my people. But any nations who refuse to obey me will be uprooted and destroyed. I, the Lord, have spoken. I think those kind of prophecies exist today just like they did then. Uh, we, we, we act like they don't exist. We take them away. We do all this kind of stuff. But we see, you understand what the book of Revelation is about? 
It's, it's ultimately about Jesus, but there's some elements. And one is Jesus comes to judge the earth. That's the point. And then for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron from Jerusalem. All right. So how about us pray about some of this, all of this, whatever you think. And I would say whatever the Lord has grabbed onto your heart about this to, to really, truly say, okay, God, wherever you're at with this, um, if you're one of those people saying, God, slaughter them, slaughter them like sheep, maybe you should pray about that. I don't want to force you into a, a box here, but right? Maybe, maybe you need to pray for you and just say, God, I, I want you to be in charge of me, just like you're in charge of the nation. Right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we are here tonight because of your grace. Lord, and also because of your mercy. You're so merciful to us, Lord God. God, we thank you for loving us, taking care of us. God, we do get upset at people. We get upset at circumstances. I think it's so easy right now to get upset at so much stuff going on in our country. So God, we need your help. We need your, your grace to flow into our minds and our hearts to keep us from um, being too judgmental. God, you're the judge. We are just here to tell people about you. We are here to tell them there's another path, another option. Lord, you're the judge. So God, even when we see the people around us that are evil, that are prospering, God, you're still in control. That doesn't change that. Lord, if for some reason I'm not prospering, that has nothing to do with anybody but between you and me. So, Lord, help, help, help me, help every one of us in here, help us to have a true repentant spirit, to have a repentant heart, that we're, that we're trying to follow you, we're trying to listen to you, we're trying to do what you've asked us to do. And, uh, Lord, we're going we're gonna to put you first. We choose right now. We're going to put you first in everything. And we're going to trust you when things are not good. Lord, we're going to trust you. We thank you for being so full of grace, not just for us, but our church, our country, our state. Lord, that you are full of grace. That the worst person in our state, however you define that, that you want them to repent and you would pull them in close to you tomorrow. So God, help us to desire being close to your heart above everything else above everything else being close to your heart. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen.